Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Good morning, Broussard Campus. How are you? My name is Pastor Gabe, and alongside my lovely bride, Lauren, we serve as the lead pastors here at the Broussard campus. And baby, stand up. Say hey to everybody. everybody. My lovely bride. And today is not National Tie-Dye Day. I'll tell you all about this shirt in a little bit. I'm not just tired from wearing a suit last week for Easter. I'll explain it all later. But before we, before we dive in, I want to remind you, uh, I think we mentioned it during our front-end announcements, but on the 23rd, we have water baptism here at the Broussard campus. I'm so excited about that. That is a very special moment for our church, and it's where we get to publicly proclaim the inward change that Jesus has done in our lives. So if you're new here or if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've never taken that next step of going public with your faith, I want to encourage you to do that. Because water baptism is a moment where the body, we're here together and we're cheering you on. And it's that moment where you, you say, I belong to him. Water baptism is like, a, it's like a wedding ceremony in a sense where it's not the putting on of rings on a stage that makes you, that puts you in covenant with a person, but it is the ceremony that celebrates what's happened and what's happening. And so when you're born again and you get water baptized, why do we do it? We do it, one, because Jesus commanded us to do it. Two, there's power in it. But then three, it's the outward expression of all that he's done inside of you. So I can't wait for that. You can sign up for that at brucearcampus.com forward slash baptism. Um, You can go there and sign up. People have asked, do I need to bring anything? Nope, just come. We have all of your clothes set up for you. You can change when you get here. We'd love to have you get baptized and go public with that faith. Also, we are beginning a brand new series today called Who is Jesus? I'm excited about this series. I'm just telling you, I'm very excited about this series. That's why I'm wearing this t-shirt. That's the graphic and that's the theme. And uh, we're we're actually selling these t-shirts and stickers as well as those little round pin buttons that you can put on. We're going all the way back to the 70s for some of you. Okay. For those of you, how many of you can remember the 70s? How many of you were there but can't remember the 70s if you know what I mean? And I think you do. <laughs> so, but if you're interested in buying one of these shirts, you can. They're actually right back there to my left, to, to your right, some of your right back there. And it's, it just says, who is Jesus? And on the back, I'll show you what it says on the back. On the back, it just says, come and see. And it's a great evangelistic tool, a great tool to begin conversations with people about your King, our Lord Jesus. Okay, so that's why we're doing that. So let's pray as we get ready to dive into God's Word into this series. So join with me. Father, we love you. We're so grateful, Lord, for your presence. We're grateful, God, for your Word. We're grateful for Jesus. Lord, as I endeavor to begin to try and scratch the surface of this huge topic 
of who is Jesus. God, I pray that you would use me, that you speak through me. And just like I prayed this morning, Lord, light bulbs would go off in this place. And more than them being taught it, I pray they would catch it. It would be caught and they would see you so that we don't just know about you. Lord, I pray they would know you. We know who you are, how you are, what you desire. And Jesus, we thank you for that. We honor you. Glorify Jesus through me, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus praise this morning as we dive in. Also, I want to take a moment to recognize just a great leader in our community um, who serves on the, he didn't know I was going to do this. He may not even want me to do this, but I'm on stage and he's not, so I'm going to. Um, but he's a, one of our, our city council, uh, city council, excuse me, parish, Lafayette Parish Councilman and just former youth pastor and a great man of God, Josh Carlson and his wife. Will you please stand and let us honor you. Thank you for the work you guys do in our community. So grateful to you. Grateful for having a man of God and leadership in our communities. That's a big deal. So I want to begin by asking you this question that is obviously posed in this series, but it's one of the most important questions you'll ever ask. Who is Jesus? Now, the answer to this question has offered countless hope to people from the very first century to our day, the time that we live in. It's offered forgiveness, another chance to people who feel like they've blown it, they've messed it up. The answer to this question has done a lot for the world. It is also united the most bitter of enemies, bringing them to the same table in unity under his great name. So the answer to this question comes with a lot. It is also given meaning and purpose to the lives of people who felt like their lives were either too far gone or have felt like their lives were an accident from the very beginning. Those of us who maybe who felt like, okay, I, maybe I wasn't planned, maybe I wasn't wanted, my parents didn't want me, I'm just a, a society's talking, I'm just a glob of DNA just existing here. All of a sudden, the answer to this question can bring purpose and meaning and destiny to your life. That's how important answering this question is. But the answer to this question is also divided the closest of friends. The answer to this question has caused conflict and disunity within family units. How this question is answered can literally devastate a family. And when I say devastate a family, it's moments when families are built around certain belief systems or how we do things or cultural acceptance, and one person breaks out of that mold, and all of a sudden, there's division in the family because someone has found a greater thing to unify to rather than the family. Some of you in this room have experienced that. This is, the answer to this question has also brought confusion to people. And at its worst, it has brought about religious wars that has devastated communities and even nations. So this question, how we answer this question, is one of the most important questions in all of human history, in all of our society, and in all of the world. Who is Jesus? Now, 
I want you to answer that question for yourself. Who's Jesus to me? Like, what do I really believe about him? What do I really believe about this Jesus? Not what was I taught in Sunday school, not what did I read in a pamphlet, not what did I read in some book, or what did college teach me about him and his origins and all of those things. What do you personally believe about Jesus? Was he simply a good moral man? Was he a man who came and lived an upright life that we can, I can respect that? Was he just a good moral teacher? Did he come just teaching us a, a higher sense of morality that we can somehow try to attest to and attain to? And I don't know if you know this, but the Bible, God's word, has literally determined a lot of the laws that govern our land. We have found much of how we as a society exist, or at least how we originally started, based off of what God's word says. Now, how we've strayed from that, that's a whole different story. But many people have looked at Jesus' life as he, him being a great moral teacher. And, and I joked about this a couple weeks ago, but some of us treat our relationship with God, or we treat Jesus just as that, simply a moral teacher. And we, we treat going to church and hearing God's word like we do going to the gym. We, January comes, a new year, I'm going go to start going to the gym, start going to church. So doing YouTube workouts, and I'm going to start going to church so I can get a little bit more morality. And we treat Jesus as if he's just a moral teacher. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's just a prophet? Did he come actually speaking for God? Did he come actually bringing the word of God to people, foretelling the future of what would come and what could happen? Is that what you believe? I'm posing these questions because I want us to go somewhere in this series. And I want you to really think about and wrestle with the answer to this question. And lastly, was he just the Messiah, the Christ? A lot of people, we think Jesus Christ, think Christ is his last name. It's not. <laughs> Christ and the word Messiah mean the same thing. Christ is Greek, Messiah is Hebrew, right? And it means anointed one, the anointed one, the one God anointed, right? The one we were waiting for. Is, was that Jesus or was there more to that? Was there more to him than that? So now let's go a little bit deeper. Who was he, but who was he really? Like who was, what was he really like? Those, are there certain sins that he really said that's a sin? Did, he, did God really say that? Did Jesus really say that? Did Jesus, does really, Jesus really think this way about me and my life? And What does he think about me as a dad? What does he think about me as a, a husband? What does he think about me as a wife or an employee or employee? What does he really say? And what did he really say about himself? Because that's a highly contested thing in our culture today as well. Jesus never said this about himself, or Jesus said this about himself. What did he really say? I want us to talk about that in this series. Who was he really? And I'm going to give you a warning up front. I know I'm prefacing a lot, but that's just, I'm a preacher. That's what we do. Okay. I'm, I want to give you a warning. Can y'all handle the warning today? Yes. I'm going 
to make you mad in this series. For some of you, you're going, I'm used to that. You make me mad all the time. For others, those who are laughing hard, that's you. For others, you're going, how are you going to make me mad? I'm going to make you mad, and I'm going to encourage you. I am going to offend you, and I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to probably, for some of you, teach you some things that you have never learned before. And for others, I'm going to challenge you to unlearn some things that you've learned about God that are not right. Pastor, that's pretty bold and confident to say. I can tell you how I know that's going to happen because that's exactly what the life of Jesus did when he lived on earth. And if he did it, then he's still doing it today. He will make you mad and he'll bring comfort. He will offend you and he will encourage you. And he will take things, he will teach you things you've never heard and blow you away. And he will force you, if you're going to follow him, to unlearn some of the even religious stigmas that you've put on him that are not his identity. That's where we're going with this series. Are y'all with me? Okay, because here we go. Let's dive right in. I wrestled with how do you begin this year? How do you, how do you start such a massive topic like who is Jesus? And I, I think I got a good picture of this. I, I learned something. I might as well start where the Bible starts. If I'm a preacher and I'm a teacher's word. Let me just start where it starts. So if you will, let me just tell you, we're going to start in the very beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1, and it begins with this, in the beginning. The title of this message is, Who is Jesus in the beginning? So I want to teach you something about John's gospel for a minute. There are four different accounts of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. There's the book of Matthew. Come on, church people. The book of Mark. The book of, and the book of? Okay, so these are four perspectives, four different vantage points on the life of the same person. These are four different people who have a different emphasis and in many cases speaking to a different audience about the same man's life. And there was a movie that I saw years ago. Don't judge me. I don't remember everything in the movie. So don't write posts about me on Facebook and Pastor Gabe likes this movie. There was a movie called Vantage Point, and I saw it a long time ago. But what I remember about the movie is there was a scene that took place, and there were, the whole movie was trying to unravel what really happened. And the way they were trying to unravel what really happened was by looking at, different, looking at the same situation that happened through the eyes of people that experienced it. So the first time you see one person's experience or their vantage point on whatever happened, you go, oh, I know what happened. But then someone else who experienced the exact same thing was at the same place but saw it from a different angle. You go, ah, that's a little different. And the entire movie goes person after person after person until at the very end you have a complete picture of what, that, what happened in that situation. That's what the four gospels is like. It's four different vantage points on the exact same story, on the exact same life. 
And they put, each put different emphases on the life of Jesus. So in the book of Matthew, you may not have known this, but the book of Matthew was primarily written to the Jewish people. You may not know that. But the emphasis that Matthew was trying to make was Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises to the Jewish people, to the nation of Israel. His big perspective, his big point was that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one you've waited for. He's the one that's been promised. And so he was speaking, even with Jewish language, he was speaking to the Jewish people to let them know this is who Jesus is. But then Mark comes, and Mark writes his gospel, and it was written primarily to the Romans. He wrote it to the Roman people, and he wrote a shorter account that was action-packed from beginning to end. It's short, it's concise, it's full of movement, and it uses words like straight away, immediately, or forthwith. And those, he uses those words about 42 different times to show this is fast moving, this is happening, speaking to the Roman culture. And the point he was trying to make was Jesus is the servant of God. He's the servant of God. Luke comes along and he writes his gospel. And he writes his gospel primarily to the Greeks who are a very philosophical type of society, of culture. And what he is teaching them is Jesus as the son of man. He put his emphasis on the fact that Jesus was the perfect man. And that's the audience he was speaking to. And that's how he wrote, he navigated writing his account of Jesus's life. But then John comes. So Matthew's the Messiah, Mark's servant of God, Luke the son of man, the perfect human being, John comes along and he writes his gospel to all of humanity, to the whole world. And the point that he is making is Jesus is the king of the world. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And Jesus is God. That's the point of John's gospel. Let's dive further into this. Again, I'm laying a foundation for this whole series this morning, but I want you to track with me because there's some points that I want to make here. Both Matthew and Luke begin their gospels with something that we often bypass. We see it, we're reading the story and we see that part and we go, page turn. (laughs) The genealogies. How many of you skip the genealogies? Be honest. (laughs) I don't believe you. And here's how we've said it in our church for many, many years. If you lie in church, you go straight to hell. Okay, that's not in the Bible. We just believe it. Okay, if they, anyway, if you, do, if you read the genealogies, who comes after Jonah? Anybody know? No, because Jonah's not in the genealogies. Okay. So both Matthew and Luke begin with these genealogies. Now, so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so, was the father of so-and-so. Was the father. So they begin in this place. And they're, what they're trying to say is this is Jesus' origin. So in Matthew, he begins with Abraham. Why Abraham? Because Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. Who is he writing to? The Jewish people. He goes right back to Abraham being the father of the Jewish race and it all leads to Jesus. Luke goes all the way back to Adam, 
Why? Because Jesus is the perfect man, the son of man. So he goes back to the very first man, Adam. It's the point he's trying to make. But when John comes, he goes even further back. How can you go further back than Adam? Well, he says it. And let's get to it. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He's going all the way back to the creation story of how God created the world. And what we're getting ready to see is he's getting ready to seemingly make a jump from talking about a thing to talking about a person. But that's not really what he was doing. It says, in the beginning was the word, other translations say. And the word was with God and the word was God. It seems like he's talking about an, an inanimate object or something said. But in the Jewish culture, and it's important for you to get this. I want you to get the background. In the Jewish culture, they, they had a name for God. Yahweh or Jehovah. And they believed that name was so holy that they couldn't say it. So they would not call him by that name. They would not say that, although they knew that was his name. They would call him Adonai or they would call him the word. So they knew when John is writing this, he's talking about God because he's saying in the beginning was the word or God and God was the word. So he's saying this. So they understood that. And he says, in the beginning was God. The word was with God and the word was God. Now, it doesn't say the word was a God. And that may be, if you've come from a Jehovah's Witness background, that's what they believe. The problem is the Bible never says that. In Greek, it never says a God. So those people, when they come knocking on your door and you try, you either ignore them or you open it like, okay. I'm just telling you that when, they open, when they're, they're going to try to tell you that the word was a God, but the Bible never says the word was a God. The Bible says the word was God. I'm going somewhere with this. This is the reason why I'm telling you this. Because the word, the world did not begin as a cosmic gumbo that just began. That's not how the world began. There was a creator of the world. There was an origin to the story of the world. And there's an argument. Don't be too impressed with this word. I want to explain what it means. But there's an argument for the existence of God, a number of them. The, Pastor, you mean you tell me you can prove God? Yes, you can prove God. It is faith. But it's also, there's also proof of his existence. And there's an argument called the teleological argument. You don't have to remember that word. I barely remember it myself, but it's called the teleological argument, and it's the argument that says if there is a creation, then there has to be a creator. If there's an, uh, if there's the, excuse me, if there's an intelligent design, then there has to be an even more intelligent designer. And here's one of the, the proofs of it that are the arguments that's made in the teleological argument is if you are walking in, let's say you're just in the basin. For whatever reason, you'd just be hanging out in the basin, but you're just walking through the basin and you look on the ground and you see a beautifully made grandfather watch. How many of you remember those old father, grandfather watches, right? These beautiful watches, right? You, your grandpa would carry it, open it up. And you look at that and you think to yourself, man, I wonder how that got here. I wonder if the sunlight hit the sand or the dirt just right in the water and over time it formed a crystal. 
And all of the metals from the, the basin just floated and it's, they all somehow kind of fit together. And they made the white background and they put the numbers on there, which I don't know how they would do that, but, I don't know, but it had to have happened, right? And it just started ticking perfectly. And even if it's broke, it's at least right two times a day. <laughs> right? To have that argument to say, well, it just kind of happened. It's the exact same thing that society and culture does when it says the world just went bang and we all came into perfect existence. And every, our bodies work needing oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide and all of these different, and it all just, boom, happened. You don't believe that any more than you believe. You can walk up and just go, oh, nature just pro- provided this watch. No, there's an intelligent design. Therefore, there must be an intelligent designer. There's a creation, so there has to be a creator. That's the argument. And so as we look at this, that's the argument for God. And how do we know that that's true? Because the Bible gives us the design. The Bible tells us how things happened. In the book of Genesis chapter 1, let's go there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, there's those words again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Let me pause there for a moment. If you don't believe that there is a creator who created the creation, then there is absolutely no purpose for the creation. And if there is absolutely no purpose for the creation, then life is meaningless. Then we're all just here existing then we can't get mad at our kids whenever they're acting like animals because we believe they, became, they came from that. Right? Because there's no purpose. Let's keep going. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. Hold on to that. Remember that. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And even passed and morning came, marking the first day. Now, I hope that wasn't my clock. Somebody's telling me that's all I got left to speak. But anyway, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he also created you and I. In verse 26, then God said, let who? Us. Say that with me. It's not a trick question. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Again, who created them? God. But God said, let us. Now, who's the us? We know clearly the Bible says the spirit of God hovered over the deep and it was formless and void. And then God spoke, spoke what? The word. And he began bringing order out of chaos, out of nothingness. He brought life. There's something about that that I want you to see. Who's the us? 
John chapter 1, verse 2, going back to John, he says, he existed in the beginning with God. There's the jump. It went from the word, God created the word, the word was with, I mean, the word was with God in the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God, right? And so the word, he, meaning the word was a person, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So this word was a person, and this person was with God in the very beginning, and everything created came through him. Verse 4, the word gave life to everything that was created. So he's a giver of life. He brings life, and his life brought light. Wait a minute. I just saw that word. His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He brought life, and he brought life. These are two different accounts of the beginning, and there's something in common in both of them, the Word. And the Word was there, and the Word was Jesus. Jesus was there in the very beginning. Now, wait a minute. Let me just say this. Have you ever met someone, have you ever known someone before they were a Christian and then met them right after they get saved, right after they become born again? Have you ever noticed there's a light to them? There's something different about their countenance. There's something different about their face. They shine. I can remember when my mom really got born again and really started serving God and it was... It was after I became a Christian at 16 years old, and for many years, I, I made it my job to try to convince my mom that she was not saved, that she did not know Jesus. <laughs> that was like my purpose in life, to make sure that she knew she was not, and that didn't go over very well. I just didn't want her to go to hell. And I just loved her, and I tried every time, every way that I could, albeit very poorly at times. I can remember one time inviting my mom to church, and I was like, Mom, you've got to come to my church. You've got to come. You've got to come check it out. And she was like, son, I'm, I don't think I'm going to come. And I was like, you see that? That's the devil. <laughs> the devil doesn't want you to come. Here's a witnessing tip for you. Don't tell them they're demon-possessed. It, <laughs> it does not work. They don't go, oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should come. I saw the devil after that, shortly after that. Okay. And so I remember, though, I got saved, I said, like I said, at 16. I remember about 30 years old. I'm 42 now, for those of you who think I'm 26. I, I'm <laughs> around 30, 31 years old. Me and my wife went on a trip with my mom. We were going to Disney World. And I remember it was a drive. I think we met up in Texas, and we drove all the way to, to Florida, Orlando. And there was something different about my mom on this trip. Me and my mom had a very strained relationship for many years. Not all her fault. A lot of it was mine. But I can remember the strength of her personality and my personality and issues in my own soul just did not work. I didn't have dad around, all those things, right? And so we had a very strained and tumultuous relationship. But I remember on this drive, there was something different about her. And before she could say a word about it, I knew it. And we sat down like any good family would at Popeye's. 
never forget this. We stopped in Gulfport, Mississippi at a Popeye's that I knew fairly well. And we're sitting at the table. And she didn't have to say it. I knew it, but she said it. She said, son, me and your sister have been on a 40-day journey with our church. And we're praying every day for 40 days together. And we're opening up God's word. And I'm getting plugged in at this church. And, and then she said something that blew me away. Son, I just want you to know I'm sorry. I'm sorry for s- some things that I did when you were a kid. She didn't have to go in anything. The moment she said, I'm sorry, she had me. Which that's a whole other message for some parents in this room. Sometimes your kids just need to see your humility. They just need to see your humility. But I knew God had changed her life before she told me God had changed her life. Why? Because of the light. He was inside of her. And his light was shining through her. So when Jesus comes, he brings a light. And you notice it. You see it. It's different. And so, anyway, let's go back to this. We believe in, as a church, the Trinity. Right? We believe this God, God, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all three of them made up the let us make man in our own image. So Jesus was there in the very beginning. Let's go back to John's beginning, if you will. Verse 6. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself, speaking of John the Baptist, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 10. He came into the very world he created. This is so profound. He came into the very world he created but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. So here we see the giver of life, the light of the world comes into the world, into the very creation that he created, and all of it obeyed him, with some exception. He came into the world and was able to walk on the water. The water said, I'm going to hold him up. Why? Because he created me. And he walked on top of the water. The storms are blowing and they're doing their thing and they're being big and bad until he says, silence. And it instantly obeyed. Why? Because he created it. Even when he went places, he didn't have to say a word. Demons start coming out of people and manifesting, doing all kind of crazy stuff. Why? Because God was there. And they recognized his authority before he said a word. Yet and still, with all that he created, the one thing that did not obey him was the creation he gave free will to. Mankind. He came, and the water obeyed him, the skies obeyed him, the heavens obeyed him, demons obeyed him, but the people he knew, loved, and cherished rejected him. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he did. Think about that. How many of you remember the TV show um, Undercover Boss? Anybody ever saw that show? 
where the boss, the CEO of a company comes down and he dresses up like a normal person. I mean, remember when Drew Brees did that, we'll walk on. Okay. And so this, this CEO, the boss of this company, the boss comes, you don't recognize him. And some of them probably treated those bosses unfairly. They didn't recognize who the boss was, so they treated him or her as common. This is that times a billion. Because the boss of the universe, the creator of the universe came and we did not recognize him and even rejected him. That is profound when you think about it. But mark my words, one day we will all recognize who he is. Because the Bible tells us whether you want to give him his honor and his credit now, one day we're all going to because scripture tells us one day we will all bow our knee and confess that he is Lord, that he is God. So we get the privilege to do it now and have him as our God and our king, but one day we will all do it. We will all recognize him for who he is. Let's keep going. Verse 12. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, came as a man amongst his own creation, rejected by his own creation. Verse 12. But to all who believed in him, and we're going to get to that word in a minute, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. There's that word again. Born again, reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Can I teach you something, something else this morning? We are all God's creation. No matter who you are, we are all God's creation, but we are not all God's sons and daughters. That title is reserved for those who follow Jesus. God gave us the right to be called the sons and the daughters of God. That is a gift and a privilege that you don't just get because you're a human. Yes, you in some semblance, you bear his image, but you are not following him. You have not been adopted yet into the family. That's how important being born again is. And Jesus, this word, excuse me, in John, John's telling us this is reserved for those who believe. Now, let me tell you what that word believe means. That word believe is a Greek word, pisteo, and it's not the noun, it's the verb. You don't have to know it, but it's a verb, and it's much more than an intellectual assent, or I believe this, because the Bible says even the demons in hell believe. They knew who Jesus was. They believed who he was. But this is the belief. This goes beyond, I believe in you. This goes further. This goes to, I believe you. I believe what you said. I believe everything you said was accurate and true, and I will follow you. My belief comes with a verb. That's what this is saying. Your belief has action. Your faith without your works is dead. So following him, Jesus says, those who follow, who believe me, have been given the gift of being called sons and daughters. Y'all tracking with me? To those who do, he gives that right. Verse 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. The word became human and made his home among us. That word is all, is, comes, it's another word picture. 
and it basically means he tabernacled among us. Going back to the Old Testament, for those of you who remember that in the Old Testament, before there was a temple, there was a giant tent called the tabernacle. And Moses would just, they would bring the tabernacle everywhere they went. And they believed wherever that tabernacle was, there the presence of God was. They would set it up, that's where God was. Set it up, that's where God was. And this tells us that God was not found in the temple. God was not found in the Ark of the Covenant. His presence, he made his tent among us when Jesus came. So if you're wondering where God is, where God was, God was in that man on earth in the first century. That was the home of God. That's where the glory of God resided. He made his home and he did it among us. He was full, and this, I love this, don't miss this, please don't miss this. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This statement has really been speaking to me over the last week. In my own Devo time, my own time with God, I've been reading in the book of Psalms, primarily in the 90s of Psalms. And there's this theme that I've been seeing, God's unfailing love, God's unfailing love. God's unfailing love. So imagine my surprise when I opened it up to begin this message in John and I saw it again. Jesus was full of the unfailing love and faithfulness of God. For those of you who feel like you've blown it, you feel like you've messed up too bad, let me explain something to you. God is full of unfailing love for you unfailing, unwavering in faithfulness to you. The Bible says even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. So when Jesus came, he came full of love for you. Not only love for you, unfailing love. Some of you don't feel lovable. He has unfailing love for you. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. It's not even about how faithful you are. It's about how faithful he is. And Jesus came full of that, full of unfailing love, full of faithfulness. This past week, I got the privilege to do a few weddings right here at our church. And Thursday, I got to perform. He's not here, but I honored him. Um, Scott Brainingham and Millie, who we all know and love, love, love Scott dearly. Been on our staff for many years, and I got to do his wedding. And last night, I got to do another wedding right here at the altar in this pulpit. And there's something that is a common characteristic that I saw in both of those men. There was a look in their eyes as they were giving themselves to their wife. There was a look that they gave them. And you know the look. And it's, it communicates a lot at one time. Especially if they're good Christian men, there's a very strong passion in that look. Okay. But there was a look of devotion. There was a look of commitment. There was a look, and I'm not exaggerating this when I say this. I wish you could see it in their face. That is saying, I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will care for you. 
and I'm committing myself to you. And the same look in those men's eyes is the same look times a million that Jesus has when he looks at you as his bride. Full of unfailing love. Full of faithfulness. Full of devotion. Full of commitment. That's what he is. I'm closing. Let me keep going. John says, I saw this. This was not someone's opinion. John, the beloved, the disciple, saw Jesus. He watched him. He heard him. He listened to him. He saw it all. Verse 15. John, speaking of John the Baptist, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me, long before him. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but here's that word again, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself, God, he just comes right out and says it. He is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. He was God revealed. So as I close, I want you to know a few things about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Number one, it's important to know Jesus was there in the beginning. He didn't just show up in the New Testament. He wasn't just that he was always, he was all throughout the Old Testament, even when you couldn't see him. And there were glimmers and glimpses of him that we're going to even take a look at in this series, that he was there. We just didn't recognize him. He was there in the beginning. He's the giver of life. He's also the giver of new life. He's not just the giver of a second chance. He's the giver of another chance. And some of you need that today. You need another chance. And he offers you life. Life. Have you been doing it your own way? Let me ask you, how's that working out? Because he came to give you life and life more abundantly, but you got to do it his way. He came as the giver of light. Jesus is the giver of life. Are you trapped in darkness today? If you're trapped in darkness and you're trapped in guilt and shame and I don't know and I'm covered and everything's so dark and everything's so just gloomy, he is the giver of life. The light of the world has come. He's come. Our hope has come. He is full of unfailing love. He is full of devotion. He is full of faithfulness. And you need to know that. And then lastly, who is Jesus? He is God. He is God. So if you're here today, and I'm going to close and pray for us. But if you're here and you're one of the people, the precious beloved people that I've mentioned, that you've not yet followed him. You've not yet recognized he really is God. He really is full of love for me. I want to be a son or a daughter. I want to be what the Bible calls reborn. I want to be what the Bible calls born again. You can have that today, and I want to tell you how. 
It's as simple as ABC. It's simple because he did the complicated part. When he became man, he became flesh, he died on that cross for your sin and rose again from the dead, defeating death. Why? Because he is the life. A, you admit. Admit what? The truth. That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life that separates you from God. That it's not just, I made some mistakes, I've done some things. No, no, no. I have sinned against God. And he's perfect and his ways are and I am not. And you admit that. But then B, you believe. Believe what? That God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. For your sins. So that you could be forgiven. You believe this is not just a story. This is God's reality for your life. And then see, you confess. Confess that he is now Lord. That he rose again from the dead on the third day, the third day defeating it. So that you can have life and you could follow him and your allegiance to him is I believe, but my belief comes with an action. I'm going to follow you. So with no one looking around, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and to bow your head in this place. Because I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that great calling, to that great purpose. Today, you can be a son or a daughter of God. You can be born again. In a, in a moment, I'm going to ask you, if that's you, to lift up your hand. If you say, that's me, Pastor Gabe, I want to be born again. I want to confess him as Lord. I want to repent of my sin, and I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to lead you in that prayer, and nothing magical about the prayer. It's your surrendered heart and everything that he did on that cross for you. When those two things collide, rebirth happens. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. I want to know who I'm praying with. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Young man, I see your hand back there. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. Praise God. Thank you, young lady. Thank you, my man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand back there, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand, young lady. Anyone else? Praise God. You can put them down. Church, pray this prayer out loud with me, all of us, as we pray with those who are praying it, maybe for the first time who are meaning it, who are meeting Jesus in this moment. Say this word, these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go there. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with God the Father. So I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. I commit my life to you. And I will follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate with every person.